praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let all God's Shake off those heavy bands, lift up those holy hands, let all God's people praise the Lord. Oh, let's just clap our hands now and worship Him. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let all God's people praise the off those heavy bands, lift up those holy hands, let all God's people praise the Lord. Oh, sing it again now. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let all God's people praise heavy bands lift up those holy hands let all God's people praise the Lord oh I'm feeling it now let's do it one more time oh praise the Lord praise the Lord let all God's people praise the Lord shake those heavy bands lift up those holy hands let all God's people praise the Lord I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people what a sight just to see all the happy faces Praising God in heavenly places What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people Oh, what joy His love affords When we meet in one accord and we lift our hearts in praise unto the Lord. There's no place I'd rather be than with the ones who've been set free. I'm so glad I'm in God's great big family. Oh, I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all the happy faces praising God in heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. Now it can be just anywhere Two or three are gathered there And the Spirit of the Lord will be there too 
There's no fellowship so sweet. There's no thrill that can compete with the thrill I feel whenever God's people meet. Oh, I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all the happy faces praising God in heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. And on that great reunion day, when our Lord says, come away, and the saints from every land sweep through the gates, joining loved ones around the throne, at last we'll all be gathered home. That will be the greatest thrill we've ever known. Aren't you looking forward to it? I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all the happy faces praising God heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Are you really glad to be in the house of the Lord? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Sure is good to see each and every one of you. I was so happy to be here this evening. Didn't know if I was going to make it. Said I set a land speed record from Wilmington, North Carolina to here in a 65-mile-an-hour truck, but we made it by God's grace. So y'all are going to have to help me out. I don't have much of a voice, but I can certainly say it's good to see smiling faces of God's people. When you're out and about and you see nothing but sadness and despair and depression, you get to come in here, and as soon as I walked in that door, I just felt that that presence. It just overwhelmed me. I was so thankful to God to have the opportunity to be here this evening. So I know God's got something in store. Are you ready to receive it? Amen. Let's sing that uh, old uh, chorus, Won't It Be Wonderful There. I don't know what key we'll try that in. Um, <clears throat> if we get it wrong, we'll just restart it. <clears throat> Won't it be wonderful there Having no burdens to bear Joyously singing with heart bells all ringing Won't it be wonderful there When with the Savior we enter the glory land Won't it be wonderful there Ended the troubles and cares of the storyland Won't it be wonderful there Oh, won't it be wonderful there 
having no burdens to bear. Joyously singing with heart bells all ringing, won't it be wonderful there? Walking and talking with Christ the Supernal One, won't it be wonderful there? Praising, adoring the matchless eternal one, won't it be wonderful there? Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing, won't it be wonderful there? There where the tempest will never be sweeping us, won't it be wonderful there? Sure that forever the Lord will be keeping us, won't it be wonderful there? Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing. Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing. Won't it be wonderful there? Amen. I'm certainly looking forward to that. Before we take our prayer request this evening, let's sing that song, I Exalt Thee. I Exalt Thee, O Lord. I Exalt Thee. I
make it real personal. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord. Josh Godwin, if he would be prepared to take these requests before the Lord. We want to continue to remember um, Sister Connie Hughes this evening. Also, um, we want to continue to remember Sister Mary Smith and her condition and her and Brother Richard, what they've been dealing with. Just continue to hold them up in prayer. Also, like for you to uh, remember my mom, Sister Shirley, is. She's dealing with some sickness that just don't want to just don't want to turn loose of her, and she's just really, really tired. And just uh, remember her in your prayers. Also, uh, we want to remember a uh, sister, Laura Collins, from Edmonton, Canada. Uh, she's 35 years old and has cancer, so we want to remember that prayer request. 
Also, we want to continue to remember Sister Laura Harwell's uncle. Uh, that's uh, he, he passed. He passed away. Okay, we want to remember Sister Laura's family. Uh, I was not aware of that. Um, also, we want to uh, remember uh, little uh, Jewel Ningamanza that got uh, really sick. Uh, said her fever had got up to 104, and they had to take her to the uh, hospital. But she is home and she's resting now. So we want to continue to remember that. Also, I would like for you to remember um, uh, my brother Brian and sister Amber in the morning. Uh, the Lord has worked um, a miracle here that uh, Amber's oldest daughter has been released. And they are going to pick her up tomorrow, traveling early, early in the morning. So the Lord really answered some prayer there. And we just ask for safe traveling mercies. I know there's much sickness and many needs among all of us here. We're a needy people. By the raising of your hands, any unspoken prayer requests, amen. Let's remember to pray for each other. Let's all stand as we take these requests before the Lord. Just bow our heads. Our precious Lord, we're just so thankful, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to gather together, Lord, with... It's just believers, Lord. It's personally, Lord, it's been so long since we've been here, Lord, and it's just I know my wife and I were just thankful, Lord, to be here amongst uh, the people, Lord, and to feel your presence, Lord, and all our faith pulling, Lord, on the, the gift, Lord, tonight. We pray, Lord, you just can take our just little seeds of faith, Lord, tonight and can touch these many, many requests, Lord. There's uh, a lot of suffering, Lord, going on amongst your people, Lord, and, and through our families, Lord. Um, I know personally, Lord, my mom is in the hospital, Lord, as well, and is getting released tomorrow, Lord. And all these others, Lord, that have just suffered, Lord, in the last couple of weeks, Lord, we pray you just be merciful, Lord, to them. We pray, Lord, tonight you would just be with the pastor, Lord, as he brings the word, Lord, and can just... Bring a renewing and a refreshing, Lord, to our minds and to our hearts, Lord. And may we just leave here, Lord, uh, better than when we came. We love you and we thank you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Josh. You may have your seats. Just before we go on into the service, let's just sing an old song. That, uh, I'm one of them. I don't know, I've just been singing this song this week, and I'm just certainly glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them, I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them, I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. There are people almost everywhere Hearts are all aflame With the fire that fell at Pentecost Which cleansed and made them clean It is burning now within my heart All glory to His name I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them I'm one of them I'm one of them I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. Though these people may.
may not learn it nor boast of worldly fame. They have all received their Pentecost, baptized in Jesus' name, and are telling now both far and wide the power is yet the same. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. Come, my brother, seek this blessing that will cleanse your heart from sin. That will start the joy bells ringing and will keep the soul aflame. It is burning now within my heart, all glory to His name. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. Oh, let's stand and sing it one more time. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. come at this time as we go on into the service and we'll invite uh, Brother Barry to come. Brother Tom, if you Amen. As Brother Barry comes, let's just sing that song. Jesus, draw me close. Never let me go. Nothing else could take your place. 
Help me know you are near. Oh, sing that again. You're all I want. You're all I want. And you're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. position, we're going to pray. We want to remember uh, Sister Connie Hughes tonight, and I just wanted to add to what Brother Keith said. And Sister Connie has what's called a proximal uh, humerus fracture, which is a spiral fracture of the big bone that runs on the upper part of your arm and a dislocated shoulder. Those two things are very painful. She's had that since Saturday without any doctor's care. Uh, right now they just have her in a sling, and uh, they're telling her that she's going to require surgery uh, in order to get things fixed back up. If you don't mind, and I told them uh, today that I would uh, bring this to the church and just ask that the Lord would undertake for her sister and uh, he's a God of miracles. And Sister Connie told me today on the phone, she said, Brother Barry, I called because I need a miracle. I said, you called the right place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence among us tonight, Lord, and how sweet it is to be able to come together with believers in this place. You have met with us so many times. You have spoken to us so directly, so clearly. Lord, just once more, I pray you'd come again and minister to our hearts. Father, we have needs. We have mentioned some of these needs, Lord, and that's not nearly all. But, Lord, you know each one, each concern and burden we carry. And now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we bind our faith together, Lord, for Sister Connie. And ask you, O God, just to be gracious to her, to give her relief of these symptoms. Lord, we believe you're a God of miracles. And I believe, Lord, that you're able to touch her and completely heal her. But the best thing we can do, Lord, is just take the need and give it to you and say, Lord, your will be done. You are a healer. You're still the same as you ever were. So, Lord, touch her, I pray. Lord, minister, as Brother Keith said, to all those who are suffering, suffering loss. And, Lord, I I pray that you would just bind up the wounds of those that have gone through difficult times. Lord, we think of Sister Mary Smith. And, Father, I just pray that in your, just in your sovereign mercy that you would reach down and just help our sister where she is. We ask and pray now you'd bless this service, breathe upon the word, make it live to us. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. One more time, let's sing the chorus. Sounds so nice. Draw me close.
nothing else could take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace help me find the chapter 2, if you would take your Bibles tonight. Thank you, musicians. Isaiah, the second chapter, beginning at verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Whenever you see a phrase like this where it refers to mountains, it is a direct translation of kingdom. So read it again. It says, in the last days, that the kingdom of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say... This is a prophecy now about God's people in the last day. This is what they'll say. Come ye, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. May God add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. Let me uh, add one more thing about Sister Connie, just for your information. Uh, Because she has an appointment next week to see a specialist and will probably then be facing surgery, they can't have visitors in their house because of the risk of the virus, and that would delay the treatment. So if you go to her house and bring chicken soup, they're not going to let you in. And I told them, don't let anybody in. So if you want to bring something to, to the Hughes, and let me tell you, they appreciate the cares and the prayers and the concern and the contact. They really have appreciated that. And I would say continue to do that, but give it to Sister Karen or give it to Sister Kristen or Josh. 
and let them bring it over because they're family. So they'll, they'll manage that. But I told Brother Troy, don't worry about offending people. We'll buy them flowers afterwards. But we want to get, uh, get Sister Connie treated and uh, you know, get things back in order. It's a right arm. If you've ever had any issues with your right arm, you know how incapacitated you are when you, uh, you know, can't use your right arm. Think about what, you, what life would be like if you couldn't use your right arm. And so uh, if you don't mind remembering them uh, in your prayers, that would be uh, really uh, wonderful. The other thing I wanted to mention to you was that uh, Friday, this Friday, Brother Anwar receives his citizenship in a ceremony in New York City. And that's a milestone. That's a wonderful thing for him. He becomes an American citizen, and that is a really wonderful thing. I had made uh, preparations to go and to be there in the ceremony. I have a connection to these ceremonies. I love them. And, uh, uh, but because of the virus, he's only allowed to bring one person into the ceremony. And I thought, that's terrible. But uh, I, if, if you have his information, it's in his directory, I think, uh, it would be nice to reach out to Brother Enmar. and He's just, he listens to every service here, and uh, i just so disappointed that I couldn't go, but I'm excited for him and uh, the family. And uh, he has a great testimony, great story, and, and uh, is a, a wonderful friend and a co-worker, and uh, we just uh, wish him all the very best. Now, um, this is uh, a service without the word shalom in it. Uh, although we could probably, uh, I was talking to somebody before service, and we could probably call it shalom in the pulpit. Uh, so you, you may understand that. And I, I, I just want to be, uh, I just had this so on my heart that I wanted to share uh, some things with you tonight. And the footnote kind of gives it away in what we're going to be talking about, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The word automatic is going to be important for us here, so uh, just stay with me as we look at this. Uh, I just wanted to say, Sawyer, congratulations. You got your first deer. I wanted to say that publicly so all the girls would know and be impressed with you. Shot his first deer at the end of the year, and uh, we're excited for that. You're one of the guys when you when you do that, really. Not really, but congratulations. Um, We've had interruptions, as I said in the update, this year already. Uh, But uh, Lord willing, we're hoping to get things back on track here. And uh, even though we're expecting some weather, I think over the next couple of days here, uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to pick up and uh, establish the pace back again. Uh, we always miss it when we're not here. Let me start a little story here, <clears throat> by, uh, start by uh, describing a little story. Uh, as unusual as it was for back in the day when Leonardo da Vinci was uh, considered a master, uh, people who uh, lived in the presence of a master, an artist or a sculptor or somebody uh, as famous as, as da Vinci was, uh, they would l- try to assign themselves to him or attach themselves to him to learn. They wanted to be in his presence so they could watch him work. And many of the young men and artists uh, of that day uh, who, who watched Da Vinci, they kind of, they were enthralled. They were amazed at him. As a matter of fact, they said one of the most common things about the, uh, the uh, apprentices of Da Vinci was that they looked at him all the time with their mouth open. And uh, history records that because they, uh, they were so in awe of the way that he worked. 
And the story is told that at the end of uh, Da Vinci's life, he was finishing a painting that he had been working on in his studio and had several mentors who were there. And at the end of uh, the painting, it wasn't completed, but it was almost completed, he took his brush and he handed it to one of the young men. And he said, here, finish the painting. And the man said, no way. He said, this is the most important part. He said, no way can I do this. And he backed up from Da Vinci. And when Da Vinci saw that, he simply said to the man, will, what, will not what I have done inspire you to do your best? Let me say it again. Will not what I have done inspire you to do your best? And the young man took the brush and finished off the painting, which was not an uncommon thing back in that day. I don't know why God would not have allowed Brother Branham to continue to the very end and we would follow him into the kingdom. I don't know why God did that. But at the very end of uh, the Gentile dispensation, God raised up a prophet, then took that prophet before it was finished. And you know what he did? He handed the brush to us. He handed the brush to people like me and believers like you. And he said, now, finish the picture. You may feel like backing away, but let me tell you, God knows what he's doing. So if that's the case, then I certainly want to be found doing my best because of what I have seen. Because we saw what God could do through one man, I want to do my best for the kingdom in the very last of the last. And if I have the job to make the last brushstrokes, then Lord, help me to make them right. Help me to make them beautiful that fit in with the rest of the painting. That's what I want to do. Now, I want you to think about this little uh, passage of Scripture that we, uh, sorry, that we uh, wrote, that we read here uh, in the book of Isaiah. And this, as Isaiah describes, is the last days when people shall come and they shall return. They'll come back. And and the vernacular, uh, uh, the language in Israel's time when Isaiah would describe it was all about uh, the Israelites coming back to the land. They would actually be in the confines of the border of Israel that God uh, described to Abraham. And so uh, the, the idea of a return from being dispersed is what Isaiah is looking at. But he says, when they come back together, their cry or their voice is going to say collectively, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. I believe that in the heart of every believer, every born-again believer, our desire certainly is to learn God's ways, to know God's ways, and to experience his presence so that we can walk in his paths. Would you agree? Now, I don't know if you agree uh, except by two means. One of them is if you say amen, and the other one is if I do the mind-reading course. I'll have to admit to you I haven't done the mind-reading course, so the only other way that I can know is if you say amen. Let me say it again. The people would say, their cry was, their heart was, let's go to the house of the Lord so that we can, uh, we can uh, have God teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. When we learn what God wants us to know, then it's easier for us to walk in his ways. And so, out of Zion, he says, goes forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we need to be in the right place to hear the right thing, to do the right thing. You'll never live the right thing unless you're in the right place to hear the right thing. Are we okay? Don't ask me to repeat that. We need to be under the hearing of the, of the truth in order to be able to walk in light. 
That's absolutely consistent with what is being said here. Now, watch what Brother Branham says. Every quote that I have here tonight is calculated. In other words, everything that I'm, I've got in, the, in this uh, presentation here for you, and, and this will be a little bit more along the line of teaching here, but I want to uh, simply establish a point of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. In the message of Messiah, Brother Branham says, see, that's the thing that delivers the Word. The Word goes right out, and the Holy Spirit follows the Word. The Holy Spirit follows the Word. He's faithful to His Word, isn't He? He is, he honors his word. And he said, it's the conductor of the word. The Holy Spirit is the conductor of the word. The word is the conductor of the spirit because where the word is preached, the spirit follows it. And I would like to say, just inserting it in here, I'd like to say that if we are preaching the truth, if I am saying what is true and what God would have me to say, then we would expect the Holy Spirit to follow that and make it real, make it, uh, make it alive in you, to, to uh, cause it to perform what God wants in your hearts. If I'm, if I'm preaching a word that is supposed to or intended to make you like Mormons, the Holy Spirit's not going to follow that. If I preach a word that, uh, you know, suggests that there is a trinity instead of, uh, you know, the true revelation of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit's not going to follow that. But if I preach the word, the Holy Spirit's going to follow that. That's what we're after. We're not after whether everybody likes me. We're not after whether we have the biggest church. We're after the Holy Spirit following, uh, following us to make that word live in our hearts. Oh, he said, I like that. I like the sound Bible teaching and the Holy Ghost coming back confirming the Bible teaching. I like the teaching, and I like the Holy Spirit coming back and confirming the teaching. That is, that is absolutely true. Now, let's create uh, a myth here, okay? Let's create a myth. And, and we're going uh, to create a, a, a question here, and then we'll deal with the answer to the question. In the message, Fellowship 1956, Brother Branham says, We have fellowship one with another than, uh, than when the blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, then we have... Fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, right? If we walk in the light. So we have fellowship with one another, uh, then when the blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's really how we have fellowship. That's why you can't bring a bunch of unbelievers uh, in here with no disrespect to them, but we don't fellowship around the same things. We don't have the same priority. We don't have the same love or passion for the same things as an unbeliever would because they're interested uh, in what the latest sports score is or uh, how they can make more money or whatever else, what, what people can get away with. And I'm not saying that everybody in the world is bad. I'm just saying that uh, we have a passion for certain things that the world very often does not share a passion about. Okay? It's good to be passionate about the things of God. And Brother Branham says the only way that God has, has ever recognized has been through the shed blood. That's what he looks through when he looks at you. The blood applied to the human heart will always bring a result. How many can say amen? That's what we need tonight. When you get that, then things will just automatically take place when we do that. When the blood is applied, there are certain things that automatically take place. Wow, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds good because then, therefore, it's not me trying to figure out, well, what should I do now that I'm a Christian? There's certain things that the Holy Spirit's automatically going to do. I'll tell you what, I, I, I have seen this and I've experienced this, uh, even in my old stodgy Canadian way, that whenever you're in the presence of God, you act differently than when you're not in the presence of God. 
There's something automatic that happens. There's something wonderful that happens. And I remember as a young fellow, uh, just new in the faith, still wet from water baptism, and I remember I wound up with my brother going to Edmonton, Alberta, uh, at a convention up there. You were probably there in the dedication of Brother Terry Spruill's uh, church uh, years ago. And I remember very distinctly, my brother Mark and I were sitting up near the front of the, uh, of the church, and we'd never been in a convention like this. And there was a couple of native Canadians who were there. And uh, they were from Burton Hennecke's church. And uh, they, they were gathered in the very front row of the church, and they went to the altar. And whatever, just the, the spirit of repentance that they had about them, because they were really broken and weeping and kneeling there at the altar. And it was, uh, you know, it was a very moving scene. But I remember there was a moment when it was like I, I had to look because it felt like there would have been a supernatural being standing there. Now, very new in the faith, and I never had experienced that before. And I still remember it very clearly because it so impressed me as a young Christian. And I thought, wow, that is different. And I had an awe and a respect for that that I never planned and I never had done before. It was automatic. There's something about a believer that wakes up and activates in the presence of God. And I tell you what, you don't need to teach somebody that. When they get in the presence of God, there's something real that happens to them. And Brother Branham says when the blood is applied. Well, when the blood is applied, there's forgiveness, right? And when there's forgiveness, there's communion. Because you don't have communion unless you have forgiveness. Right? The high priest sprinkled blood so that God could commune with the people and there was a sacrifice made. If there is no blood, there is no communion. And if there's no no forgiveness, there's no communion, there's no uh, relationship or interaction between you and God. And so, Brother Branham says, when the blood's applied, he said, you get that, then automatically certain things are going to take place. Hey, folks, this is good. This is not something I need to produce. This is good. It's automatic. A sheep has wool, the only thing that it has, and it can't manufacture the wool. We're not asked to manufacture the fruit of the Spirit, but to bear the fruit of the Spirit, as long as it's a sheep, it'll bear. There's no such thing as sheep for dummies. Sheep know what to do. And when you are a Christian, you'll cope with the word. I don't care what anybody says. You don't have to work up nothing and bring down nothing, pull or pump up. You're a Christian. You just automatically, there it is again. You just automatically bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's the way it is. This is getting better. I mean, if that's automatic, then I'm going to put on the attributes of, of, of Christ as a Christian here because I'm born again. But he says, you don't have to work up nothing and bring it down. Now, remember, I've told you before that <clears throat> I talked to somebody who was in Branham Tabernacle and uh, uh, witnessed the, the, uh, the people who had come out of a Pentecostal dispensation. And many times when Brother Branham would leave the building at the end of a service, they'd, have, they'd continue with the service, have an altar call, and be teaching the people how to speak in tongues. Because they said to them, you can't have the Holy Ghost unless you speak in tongues which is contrary to what Brother Branham taught. And that's why Brother Branham often spent a lot of time on that particular issue because he struggled with it in his own church. And this often happened in Brother Branham's church. And so he's telling us here that if you're a Christian, you're going to cope with the word. And he says, you don't have to work it up. You don't have to pull it down. You're a Christian. So you'll automatically bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's the way it is. This is good, right? This is good. But I've held to this scripture, and I, uh, forgive me for repeating it, but let's 
take a look at this just once more. Then in Luke chapter 8, this is Jesus and his disciples now, and they went out to see what was done. And what he is, what they're referring to, what Luke is describing, is how the maniac from Gadara had the demons called Legion cast out of him into the swine, down over the hill, into the ocean. Everybody's upset because their livelihood disappears in a brief moment. But the man who could not even be bound with chains is now standing there. And the people who were watching and observing this and seeing Jesus do what he just did ran off to the town. The people come back, and this is what it says. They went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is the guy nobody went near. This is the area that nobody wandered through. This is a place that everybody would have been conscious of. You don't go near here because of that maniac in the field. And now they look and they see he's clothed. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's in his right mind. They're shocked. Verse 36. They also which saw it told them by what means he was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country uh, of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. Hey, uh, this is an extraordinary thing, something we cannot explain. The best thing we can do is get Jesus out and his followers here. And he went right up into the ship and he returned, went back across the sea. Not a far distance. So uh, you, you have to, uh, to kind of envision how this must have been when they came up and they saw this man that everybody feared, everybody was afraid of, and now here he is sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'd like to say this, which I've said many times about this uh, passage of Scripture, that there are two things that are happening here. One is a dynamic moment when this demon is cast out, enters into the swine, and goes into the sea. And I mean, that would have been an extraordinary thing to see. Imagine being there on that mountain, on that hillside, and watching that whole thing. Nobody fell asleep that day in church. Nobody. But the second part of this, I think, is equally as important as the first part. That now this man, who was mightily delivered and supernaturally healed of this demon, now here he is sitting at the feet of Jesus because he wants to hear whatever Jesus has to say. Whatever this man wants to teach, I'm all ears. And I'm presenting myself now into his presence, and I don't want to go. As a matter of fact, uh, later on, as John tells the same story, uh, later on, this, uh, this man, he wants to stay with Jesus, and Jesus gets up now to get in the boat and go back across the sea. Well, this young man, he just stands up, and he's going to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, hey, stay here. Go back and tell your family what great things God has done for you. Because to him, to him, if this is the God of deliverance, and this is really the Messiah we longed for and waited for, and if this is a God who can do that, why would I want to leave? I want to learn everything he has to teach. I want to hear everything he has to say. And this man is committed instantly, totally, to the ministry of Jesus Christ because now he wants to learn. He wants to make up for lost time. He wants to hear the good news that Jesus has to broadcast. I'm saying to you that there's two things happening here. One is the dynamic deliverance. The other thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't think you can take away one part of that and have this thing, have this picture correct. Because I'll tell you why. I think when you have a real encounter with Jesus Christ, it'll drive you to the feet of Jesus Christ. 
it'll drive you to the feet of the Holy Spirit, who now uh, will have things to say to you. It is not enough for us just to have the experience of deliverance. It's not enough for us to have, uh, you know, the, the great altar experience. Listen, and don't ever, don't ever assume that I don't believe in having, uh, you know, an experience of the new birth and the interaction with the Holy Spirit and a meeting with God, uh, whether it's cheerful, uh, no matter what it looks like, no matter where it takes place, I believe that the life of Christ in a person begins with the new birth. It does not begin with a good pastor. It does not begin with a good church. It begins with your, uh, your experience of meeting God face to face. Are we clear? I don't want you ever to assume that we can have one without the other. Because you will never learn your way at the feet of Jesus into becoming a member of the bride of Christ. You'll never learn your way in. You'll never associate your way in. You'll never dress good enough to become the bride. You'll never learn the rules and guidelines of this church well enough to fool God. The thing he looks at is the soul. The thing he looks at is the inner man. Would you agree? That's what he looks at. He doesn't look at your conduct. He doesn't look at your fingernails. He doesn't look at your, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your words today that you said to everybody. He looks at the heart first. You remember how he corrected Samuel and said, that's what I look at first. He said, you look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. All right, so if God's looking at the heart and he sees new life there, what does he do now? Does he just say, hey, young man, you've been delivered now of all these spirits here. Have at it. See you in, uh, see you in the resurrection. He doesn't say that. This man comes and sits at the feet of Jesus Jesus doesn't say, hey, buddy, you got the Holy Ghost, you got deliverance. Listen, go on your way. You don't need any teaching. You don't need any instruction. The people in the town came out and they looked and they saw this man at the feet of Jesus. And they're saying, wow, this is, this is just absolutely incredible. I think a real encounter with God will drive you to the feet of the Holy Spirit. All right, <clears throat> stay with me. There has always been in God's economy... There has always been an ark in God's economy. There is an ark now. And that ark is not a denomination. Neither is it good works that you do. But by one spirit are we baptized into the body, according to Romans chapter 8. How will I know then, Brother Branham, that I'm in there? Watch what kind of life you're living. Just look around. See if it's just lived out of you automatically. There's the word again. Or you have to strain and pull, then you're, then you're doing it. Which is better, for you to be doing it, you to be putting on, uh, you know, pretending, or you to be, uh, you know, uh, having to be persuaded to do things? Or is it better that the Holy Spirit just lives his life out of you? Uh, this this word automatic is good in this sense, isn't it? I mean, I and I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not I'm not leading you somewhere incorrect. If it's lived out of you automatically, listen. There there are two ways. There are two ways uh, for you to conform to God's word. There's two ways for you to to measure up to God's word. One is by legislation. 
And we've all probably known pastors who uh, took the heavy-handed route where they said, uh, you have to dress this way, you can't have a hairstyle like that, you can't wear a dress like that, you can't do this. And by legislation, people were told what to wear and told what to do and told who to marry. Come on, folks. And told what they had to do. In other words, the pastor became the Holy Spirit for those people. And guess what? Whenever the Holy Spirit wasn't there, they were up to all kinds of things because their Holy Spirit wasn't present. I think God's smarter than that. Because God knew you always wouldn't be around in Reiner, Reiner, Virginia, you know, with your pastor. The other way that we, the other way that we measure up to God's word, one is legislation, the other way is revelation. And somebody who's got a revelation is never at the mercy of somebody who tries to impose legislation. By revelation. If a, uh, uh, if, if a sister figures out, I'm not supposed to cut my hair, let me tell you, that is way far and above better than for someone to have to be told what to do. When it's coming from the inside, and the Holy Spirit's at work in the inside, and somebody says, I'm not going to do it because the Word says so. They've got the right thinking. They've got the right reasoning. They've got the right uh, attitude towards the Word of God. Because they're saying, it's not because, well, everybody else might be doing it. But you know what? The Word of God says that we're not supposed to do that, so therefore I'm going to do it because I love God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? But come back to this again, this myth, and say, uh, all right, Brother Barry, if, if it's all automatic, then I have a right to ask the following four questions. Here they are. Why do I need teaching then? Why do I need to come here on Wednesday night and have you teach me? I'll learn everything I need to know because I'm a Christian. If I'm automatically, if I'm automatically a Christian, then I'm automatically going to be perfect. As a matter of fact, why do I even need to go to church at all? Hey, folks, this is automatic, right? So uh, if I'm predestinated and I'm, you know, I've I'm, I'm, uh, got eternal life, why do I even need to go to church at all? If it's just a matter of having the experience of the new birth, why do I need to go to church at all? Because if i got, if I got the Holy Spirit, isn't that all I need? Because... What Brother Branham said was that everything was automatic. If it's all automatic, shouldn't the people who, experience, who had the experience live a perfect life and never need correction? Or have to repent for anything? Let's, let's take this now to this extent and say, if it's all automatic, if it's all automatic and your attitude is that nobody needs to teach you, then I should be living a perfect life, shouldn't I? I know you're afraid to answer, and this is probably a good place for you not to answer. But listen to what I'm saying. <clears throat> because I find, I find this, this thing to be true, that I've gone over the year, my years of ministry, I've, I've gone among people who believe that all you need is a new birth, and that's it. And I've gone among those people and prayed for people at the altar uh, where that is taught. And I find those people coming and asking for forgiveness and deliverance for the same things that people ask for in churches where that's not taught. 
In other words, you'll find people that are bound by pornography on the Internet or they're involved with some sort of a drug or drinking or whatever else or they're listening to the wrong kind of music. And they can be under the illusion that, uh, you know what, if I have the Holy Ghost, that's all I need. And yet they're struggling with the same kinds of things that people, that any one of us would struggle with. <clears throat> Brother Banham, doesn't Brother Banham say that if you're a Christian, you're a target? He says, as a matter of fact, you're more of a target than you were before you were converted. And Satan's got all kinds of guns pointed at you, and he's going to make your life miserable as much as he possibly can, because now you've established yourself on the other team. You're wearing the jersey of the other side now. And I prayed for people that have heard that, hey, I thought all I needed was the Holy Ghost. And you know what happens when they're tempted? They feel like, well, maybe I don't have it. And now they don't know where they stand. And the moment you don't know where you stand, the devil loves to move in on that scene. Right? How about if we deal with these questions? Just for a little bit. Is that all right? Appreciate you not getting up and walking out. Brother Branham, let's let Brother Branham answer these questions this way, okay, at the beginning here. Well, they say, I don't need anybody to teach me. Glory to God, I got the Holy Ghost. Well, then the Holy Ghost was wrong when it said, it said, summon the church as teachers, apostles, prophets, and so forth. God put them in the church as teachers. That settles it. Why would God put a teacher in the fivefold ministry if he didn't need one? Why did he put teachers in there if the Holy Ghost is going to do all the teaching? What people need is their brains baptized besides the water, you know, physically being baptized. I'm really glad Brother Branham said that, so I didn't have to say it that way, and you would think I was just being sarcastic here. But let me say this. Brother Branham's dealing with the same thing. Because here's Brother Branham coming along and teaching things that are biblical But because they're biblical, they're contrary to some of the current teaching that exists in denominational churches, like the Trinity, like the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And Brother Bram's trying to bring people back to the Word. And they're saying, hey, we don't need you to teach me. In other words, we don't want to hear what you have to say because you're saying something contrary to our church. But Brother Bram stood up and said, but I'm saying what's, what's right according to the Bible. I'm saying what's right according to the Word. And here are people resistant to that kind of teaching, right? They're resistant to that. And he says, but wait now, God put teachers in the fivefold ministry for, for what? Here it is, for the perfecting of the saints. So therefore, there's a necessity to have those five in order for, for you to come to the place where God says, we're done. The adoption process is completed. Now I can take that son of God home. Because they operate until, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. I think, I think, personally, and I'm trying to guard my words very carefully, I'm trying to guard my spirit very carefully, and just simply say this, I think that it would be really good, I think it is a profitable thing for the bride, and I think it is probably the best performance of my calling when we stand with the word and teach the word without any politics and without any favoritism and without me trying to please the crowd and without me trying to please the people in my clique. You know what's going to help you the most? 
is to preach a word that is going to perfect you for the place you're going. Not to feel all bubbly in the place you are. Because we are called upon, all of us, to come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And sometimes in order to get there, you're going to have to let go of some of the ideas you have. You're going to have to let go of the ideas that, uh, you know what, I don't need to forgive so-and-so because in this case, it's different. And you know what, you may think that, but the problem is you don't have a scripture for that. Because Jesus said, if we're going to talk about forgiveness, we've got to do it 70 times 70. 70 times 490 times. Now, as we've done this before, Jesus did not mean that you have to uh, forgive, 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 490 times. 491. I ain't forgiven you, buddy. The 70 times 7 refers to completion. So Jesus said, you need to forgive so that your heavenly Father can forgive you. Completely. Completely, 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 completely. You need to completely, 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 completely forgive somebody. Because there's no exceptions in that in that passage in the book of Matthew. There you have to forgive somebody completely because you want God to forgive you completely. You don't want to have to him to forgive you partially. You want to have him forgive you completely. And in order for you to be forgiven, you've got to forgive. So there's some people that say, well, you know what? I don't need to forgive that. I can forgive a lot of other things, but I don't need to forgive that because that's different. That's an exception. And the problem is, is that thinking will get you into, you'll paint yourself into a corner because you don't have a scripture verse to stand on. Completely means completely. And, and let me add, let me say this, that, that forgiveness and repentance really means nothing until there's an action behind it. And so, therefore, Paul's admonition is appropriate, I think, in verse 14, where he says, therefore, you need to grow up. You need to grow up and realize that God has a way. That way is the best way and the only way for you to get from here into the kingdom. And these ministers are going to help you and teach you and show you and pastor you and shepherd you and evangelize you into that place and into the knowledge of the Son of God and all of that. And that's why I'm giving you these gifts here, because you need them. And you know what? I have a I have a ministry where I tend to explain and, and teach and, and so forth probably more. I'm not a real good evangelist. I, uh, uh, let me tell you something. I, I, I'm just not. And I don't mind telling you this because I, I, I know my ministry and I know my gift. I remember one time I went, Brother Ron Spencer invited me to come up to Harrisonburg and I preached up there in his church. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I mean, they're used to an evangelistic style. So I tried to be evangelistic and I... You know, I tried to be kind of sweaty and, and do things that evangelists do and all of that. And in the end of it, nobody came to the altar. And Brother Ron just stood up there at the end of it and said a few things. All of a sudden, people came to the altar, and he prayed for the sick. And I'm standing back here, and I got healed. I had a problem, and as he was praying, I bowed my head and said, Lord, that, that's me, touch me. And I got healed. Here I am, the preacher, trying to be evangelistic, and he's, he's just the pastor standing there. And I, I, just, I just, I'm not good at it. But I have the gift that God gave me because of you. You know that? Because God outfits or shapes a man or molds a man to minister to a specific group of people, and you're that people. 
you poor people. But if I'm, if I'm a little bit odd, but I'll tell you what, the priority has to be this, this is the last verse, but speaking the truth in love. And really, that's what I need to do, because in all of that, we're going to build this body up into a place of strength and stability, so that if the virus comes, and if it goes, great. But you know what? If this virus is only a platform for something else, you're going to need to be strong. And therefore, I need to, I need to be uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit who would give me a word for whatever's coming next. You don't know what's coming next. The government is not capable of predicting what is coming next. And I'm not predictable, uh, capable of predicting that either. But I know this, that whatever it is that lays ahead, I believe that God is able to give us the things that we have need of for that day when it arrives. It's just like the cravings that a woman has when she's bringing forth a child. Uh, she has, uh, you know, the need of uh, certain things. She might want to eat a certain thing or drink a certain thing because she's got a craving for that. There's a need for that inside in the life of that little child. It's going to need that for the next stage of development. And so, therefore, in the same way, sometimes God will direct a pastor to do a certain thing or bring in a certain kind of ministry or teach in a certain series or uh, do something else. And a lot of times it's not exactly for the present moment, but it is what you're going to need around the corner that we can't see. But God knows what lays ahead because he knows the future. So you've got to remember that this is not about me preaching to you. This is about you causing me to preach certain things because God knows what you have need of. That ought to make you kind of feel good. Now, Brother Branham says, so when we come to the ministry then, and, and they're playing a part in the life of a believer, Brother Branham said in Sirs, we would see Jesus. And to build this house, he said, I was noticing the architect of it, this place he was preaching at, and he said, uh, it would look horrible if I did it. It would look horrible. But you see, God has men to build a house. God has men to build houses. He has some to preach the gospel. He has some to teach. And God said in the church first, uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, and so forth, gifts of healing, working as miracles, all, the perfect, all for the perfecting of the saints. That's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The perfecting of the saints in the Greek, it means to furnish or to equip. So therefore, God is interested in you having the right equipment for what lays ahead in the journey and, and for you to have everything you have need of to get into the kingdom. Absolutely. And adoption teaches you, it, it teaches you, it inspires and instills in you the ability to learn everything that God wants you to know and to become everything that God predestinated you to be. Let me say it again. The process of adoption is all about uh, helping you to know what you need to know as a Christian, and then also preparing you for the journey and uh, making sure you're equipped for the journey ahead and, and learning how to use everything that God uh, has given you for the journey. Absolutely. All right, let's, let's, let's look a little closer. Brother Bram said, you must come under teaching. And he said, you say, I, I need no one to teach me after the Holy Ghost has come. My friend, that gives me just a little room to doubt whether you've really got it or not. Now, I want to stop and say this. I'm not suggesting that you have a problem with this particular problem. I'm just saying that uh, my, my burden was just to share how the Holy Spirit works in your life. That it is not just one experience that we have and then the Holy Spirit leaves you alone and you want everybody else to leave you alone and live whatever way you want to. I believe that when the Holy Spirit quickens that gene of God that lays in you and you experience a new birth, 
I believe that starts the involvement of the Holy Spirit in a very personal way. And now he begins the work of shaping. Now he begins the work of transformation. Now he begins the work of changing you into what he wants you to be. God knows exactly where he wants you to be at the end of the road. And I believe that uh, this, is, this is that process. And he said, the way that you're acting with it, and if the Bible says the Spirit is a teacher, then why did the Holy Spirit put teachers in the church then? To set the church in order. Same Holy Spirit. He'd be confused, wouldn't he? He said, we don't need seminaries to go around and a big bunch of men to look out these things. The Holy Spirit's a teacher, and it's a teacher, and it gives some fellow a gift of teaching. Then you must be subject to that gift. Because if it's really God operating through that gift, that's really the same as God speaking to you. Right? It is. So the disciples said, we believe that thou knowest all things and need that no man teach thee. So Brother Branham in his prayer says, So Father, tonight we realize we don't need, you don't need our teaching, but we need yours. So we pray that you'll teach us how to pray, how to live, and how to believe. But hold on, isn't everything automatic? And everything goes quiet. What do they say, crickets? Is that what they say? Crickets, crickets. Here's Brother Branham actually praying. Teach us to pray. Just like the disciples did when they looked at Jesus and they saw the miracles and the power of God operating through his uh, word and his ministry. And they said, teach us to pray like that. Jesus did not turn around and say, hey, just wait till you get the Holy Ghost and everything will happen. You don't need to worry at all. Don't need to tell you a thing. Jesus said, hey, you want to know? Here's how you pray. I'll tell you the words to say. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And he taught them how to pray in a certain way. Here's Brother Branham doing exactly the same thing. So, Lord, we pray that you'll teach us how to pray, how to live, how to believe, how to believe. Grant it, Lord, through this service tonight. And if we lack anything, give it to us. We invite the Holy Spirit in, in an intimate way, to search us and know that if there's anything at all that we have need of, that, Lord, you'd provide it. Absolutely. In, this, in the Hebrew series, Brother Branham says, sorry for quoting a lot here, just want, I want to get through this little part of it here. Brother Bam said, you mustn't question anything to God, for the footsteps of the righteous is ordered of the Lord. God may, uh, you know, inspire you to do things that are not maybe always logical. They're not always, I mean, you've got to think about Gideon, right? I always think about Gideon in a situation like this, that he's got a bunch of men that could probably represent a credible force against all those Philistines. And God says to him, go down by the river and watch who bows on one knee and and takes the water in their hand versus the ones who lap like a dog. And he says, get rid of all of them. Well, you know, I mean, if you lost a couple of hundred, that would be one thing. But when you're down to 300 men and you've got to face this army of Philistines, that ain't logical. But you know what? It was the will of God, wasn't it? He said, every trial is put on you to prove you those trials are more precious than gold. And if God let a few light afflictions happen to you, remember it's for the correction of you. And every son that comes to God must first be chastened and child trained. There are no exceptions. Every son. And these afflictions are brought about to see what attitude you'll take. And it's God on this proving ground that that's all earth is. That's all this earthly journey is, is the proving grounds where he's trying to prove you to see your response. So the pastor will get up and say something, even visited a well-worn path where we might talk about something we've talked about many times. 
And he may notice, you know, uh, the girls who sit down and wrestle the whole service by trying to pull their skirt down over their knees because they're afraid the pastor's going to see it. And so the pastor might bring this up again, and they're doing, they might sit there and look like this. But inwardly, they're rolling their eyes all over the place. What, what that is, is you on the proving ground. And you know what? It, it, it might, uh, it, it might disappoint me physically or humanly, but really, I'm not the one that you need to deal with. He's the boss. He's the one who set the standard. And so therefore, you're always on the proving ground because God is trying to train you. He's trying to teach you and show you certain things. And he said, today the church is in such a turmoil. He said, I hate to think of it, but it's true. The church, now this is 1956, so he's talking about the church in general, right? This is even before 1957 when he indicts the church and the grace grace has been grieved away in America and all of that, okay? So we're back quite early. He's talking about the church corporate. Everybody okay? Everybody all right? The church is in a terrible turmoil, and I mean universally speaking. And everywhere you go, it seems like uh, that there's just everything going on. And what we need is an inside healing of real fundamental faith in Christ when the outside will automatically take place. So what has to happen first? Something's got to happen on the inside. We're not dressing, acting, singing, conducting ourselves, cleaning up just from the outside in. That's not how it begins. It begins on the inside. He said, then the real healing starts. For physical healing, it'll begin from the inside going out. Something will take place. It'll be lasting. It'll be something real. How many of you want something real? We do not want something put on. We don't want something that uh, is imitated. We We don't want young people to have an experience because that's how you have an experience at a camp. I would rather that, if, if our young people went to a camp, I would rather that uh, maybe only one of them responded to an altar call and really mean it. Really mean it. Then young people at the altar looking around saying, what's everybody doing now? What's everybody doing now? What's everybody doing now? And let the other people around them be their guide. Where this begins, folks, is from the inside out. And let the inside live, grow, and, and flourish, and it'll change the outside. It'll, it'll transform the outside. Isn't that right? If we are just a bunch of people who go to church and learn the rules and learn the ropes and try to conform to that kind of behavior, it won't last. There will be something come along that will knock that right off its, uh, right off its foundation. So Ephesians 1, let's skip down to verse 5 here, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. God designed it for you to run into adoption. God made it so that you would have a teacher. Didn't he say that when the Holy Ghost has come, he shall teach you. He'll guide you into all truth. Isn't that right? He'd be an inside teacher, and he would be the one that would show you the way. So God predestinated you unto salvation, but he also predestinated you unto adoption in that whole process so that you could do things like the Father would do it himself. You remember, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, out of 1 Timothy, where Paul said, be thou an example of the believers in faith and conduct and all of that. Remember that? Remember I talked about that? that? That we as believers, we should be able to look around the congregation with our eyes closed, pick somebody and say, there's an example of what the message actually produces. There's an example of what a young person in the message should look like. There's an example of what a young couple should act like, uh, in, 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 uh, you know, as somebody professing the faith. Be thou an example of the believers. God forbid that we need to have examples for the believers. 
Because we're not trying to train believers to become believers. Really, the goal is to have people experience a new birth and allow the Holy Spirit to develop his character. But along the way, we have questions. So let's look at adoption for a minute. This is folk, I'm not going to be long. Adoption in the natural brings a person into a specific relationship, giving to someone the name, place, and privileges of a son who's not a son by birth. We understand that. That happens. We have that in our own church. So it is not a person who is by birth a member of a family, but is brought in legally and in every other way, like Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses and brought him into the palace. He had all the rights and privileges. He had everything that every other member of the family would have. And this is an arrangement that is allowed, and we understand that as adoption in the natural. Let's look at it in the spiritual. <clears throat> it is an act of God's grace by which he brings men into proper position in his redeemed family and makes them partakers of all the blessings he provides for them. Adoption represents the new relations into which the believer is introduced by justification and the privileges associated with that. So it is really God's grace where uh, God allows that person to uh, manifest the characteristics of the family. And since there are no grandchildren or great-grandchildren or grandfathers or grandmothers, this relationship is unique because everyone is looking at Father God and the way he would do it, right? We're not all in different levels and different spheres of things. There are no grandchildren with God. And so, therefore, we're learning continually from this teacher that we have been predestinated to uh, to uh, be partakers of the, of the blessings. Uh, for instance, we'd say, and this is just a, a random example here, that some people may come along and say, well, you know what, tithing specifically is an Old Testament principle. It's mentioned there, but uh, we don't find the word in the New Testament there, so we're off the hook. We're okay. The Holy Spirit teaches us better than that. Right? And we find that... Uh, in, in, in a real sense, in a real sense, that's the grace of God to us. Because when we do the right things in our stewardship, doesn't the promise say, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. In other words, there's a way to the blessing. There's a channel to the blessing. You've got to tune into the right channel. Or the blessing is not available. Right? It's like, you, you can't take, I can't take Joe's uh, ATM card. You have an ATM card, right? Ethan, you have one. Noah, I know you have one. Lincolnton? Sister? Sister Ashley? Okay, if I took Ashley's, <laughs> Finally. If I took her ATM card and I just walked up to the ATM machine and I said, hey, this is a good card, it's a good account, and I know this girl, and I put in the... But if I, if I don't have the access, you know what? She could have millions, and you probably do, <laughs> millions in that account. And you know what? I walk away empty. I walk away with nothing because I don't have access to it. What is the good of all that if I don't have access to it? The Holy Spirit's job under adoption is to bring you to a position 
where you can obtain access to all that God has, all the blessings, all the benefits. Doesn't he, doesn't he load us up with benefits? Isn't he a healer? What a shame to be in the presence of the healer and not be healed. What a presence, what a, what a shame to have a need of something, uh, to have uh, peace, you know, a real need for peace in your own mind, your own heart, because of the frustrations that you feel and the other, all the things that are going on in the world and the criticisms and the hurts and everything else. And you just, you just, you're, you're longing for peace. And you're right in the presence of the Prince of Peace. But we fail to access that. What a shame it is. What's the point of having all of that if we don't have access to it? The Holy Spirit guides us into a position whereby his redeemed family can partake of the blessings that God provides for them. And therefore, Lord, if I'm not doing something right, if I don't understand about paying my tithes or being a good steward, if I don't understand about uh, you know, forgiveness and repentance, or if a husband doesn't treat his wife right, then aren't his prayers hindered? Yeah. Or if a woman cuts her hair, I mean, the scripture says that she shouldn't pray. I mean, I'm just telling you what it says. There's certain things that we need to know because we don't want to cut off the blessing. There's certain things we need to know because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. There are certain things that, uh, certain positions that we want to remain in and always have the Holy Spirit on our side because you know what? You'll always be victorious as long as He fights for you. Listen, when you've been wronged and you've been criticized and somebody comes against you in a big way, somebody comes against you in a public way, and you're standing there and you haven't reacted in anger and you haven't reacted in criticism and you haven't reacted in a wrong way, let me tell you, at that moment, if you're criticized, especially unjustly, the Holy Spirit's still there. If we respond in anger, we can easily grieve the Holy Spirit away. Now you're on your own to deal with that. It's a good thing to know when to shut your mouth. It's a good thing, thing to know when you shouldn't revile back. Hey, you may have every right, but you know what? We gave our rights away at Calvary. We live for him now. So, Lord, what would you have me to do? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help me, Lord, to react like you would in that kingdom. Help me to react here like you would there. Get evenness doesn't exist there, so it shouldn't exist in me. Right? The Holy Spirit teaches us those things. And you know how he teaches you those things? By experience. A lot of times we go through those things to learn them. Isn't that right? So therefore, the Holy Spirit helps develop a spiritual nature in us. He has, uh, helps to develop a spiritual character, the character of Christ. The Holy Spirit protects us. He's a, he's a consoler. He's a counselor. He, he supplies our every need. Do you believe he's still a supplier? Our Father chastises us because He loves us. And our Father teaches us about the glorious inheritance of the people of God. Those are some of the things the Holy Spirit teaches us. Brother Bam said, Bible teaching is a little treacherous. He said, we're walking out on thin ice. But I think, the preaching is, I think that preaching is a wonderful thing. But I believe teaching goes beyond that. Preaching catches a sinner and brings him under condemnation by the Word. That's the Gadarene full of demons. But the teaching places a man positionally what he is. So you've got to have two. 
You've got to have both of those things, and that's okay. And we can never rightly be able to have the faith until positionally we know what we are. So we have to go through the experience of the new birth. We have to, uh, we have to uh, repent. We have to uh, you know, surrender our lives to Christ. But that brings us to a position where now the Holy Spirit can have influence in our lives. Now the Holy Spirit can teach us things. Now he can show us, show us things. Because, uh, verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again. You don't need to be under legislation to learn how to become a Christian, but rather you have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So in other words, when something comes up in our life, or we've got to make a choice, or we've got to do something, Lord, what would you have me to do? Father, how would you react? I'm not Googling to find out all the answers. I'm not searching laterally to find out what everybody else would do. I'm crying, Abba, Father, come to me in the moment. I need your help and I need your guidance. Is that all right? Adoption teaches us that. We have, ye have received a spirit of adoption whereby that causes you to, that inspires you to cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption teaches you to go back to the word every time. The spirit of adoption teaches you to lean upon your father's everlasting arms. How many would agree? The spirit of adoption brings you back to him every time. That's what it does. Now, let me, if you don't mind, let me just skip ahead just for a moment here and just say this, that... The spiritual maturity that the Holy Ghost wants to bring us to, as, and this is limited, but just to say that we really want him to become the center of our lives so that we just do not put him on because we're in church or when we have a church gathering. But you know what? No matter who knocks on your door at any point in the week, you're doing things that Christians would do because you're a Christian. You want Christ to be the center of your life. You want your kids to have Christ at the center of their life because you're not always going to be around to monitor everything that they uh, will be tempted by. Uh, you're not always there. So you know what? I, 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 there's a point where uh, you can tell your boys what to wear, your girls, you can tell them what to wear, what not to wear, uh, who to associate with, can we do a sleepover, uh, is it all right to have this kind of video game or whatever else. There's a point where you can say, because you're dad and you're much bigger, or you're mom and you're more authoritative, you can say, hey, this, why, Manda, I had to do that? Because I said so. And you can get away with that. But there comes a point where that's not so effective. So now you need to rely on a relationship with your children. And you're dealing with their heart more than just with rules, right? But there even comes a point where you want to say, Lord, deal with them because I know they're going to be on their own. And Lord, it's going to be between them and you. And Lord, inspire them, grip their heart, protect them from the evil one. And Lord, may they make the best decisions in the time of aloneness. And we're not going to automatically just hope that that gets there. Brother Branham says we had to make preparations for that. We want Christ to be the center of our young people's lives. That's what we want. It looks like this, the mainspring and a watch. Everyone has, just about, has electronic watches now, right? So this doesn't apply if you have an electronic watch. In the old days, we had watches that you had to take off and go like this. You turned it and you wound it up, right? Except for the people who wound one too many times. Done it many times. Took apart many watches and that was the end of it. But listen to what Brother Branham says. He says in Jehovah Jireh, pushing, shoving, 
He said, but something comes in as we spoke this morning, that mainspring in the middle of the watch that makes every movement click to perfect time. That mainspring causes everything else to move and click to a perfect time or a perfect sequence. Everything is tied to that. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's something that moves. You don't always understand what it is. It's a supernatural being inside you. Watch, moving, controlling your emotions, making you scream and you actually feel like running. He said, you'll praise God just automatically. When Christ is the center of your life, there's certain things you're going to do automatically. There's certain things. Hey, a believer reacts when they get in the presence of God. A believer reacts when they do something wrong. If you're a believer and you got that mainspring in the center of your life and you do something wrong, he's right there to say, hey, gone too far here. Bring it back. Come on. And you start to feel conviction. You start to feel nervous. And then you start to feel, you know what? I got something I don't want mom and dad to see in my room. I got something that I don't want mom and dad to discover on my phone. And you're worried about that. You know what that is? That's the grace of God reaching out to you saying, hey, buddy, let's bring it back. Sis, let's bring it back here. Don't take your clothes in a bag to school so you can dress and wear pants in school here. Hey, listen, you know that that's contrary to the word. And if the Holy Spirit can have influence in a young person's life to live that way and live life according to the, the standards that God has laid down for us, you know what? Then you've got the mainspring ticking in the right way. Am I making sense? Is this, is this okay? The Holy Spirit wants to be the mainspring in your life. He wants to coordinate all the clicks and activity and all the movement of the hands and everything else that uh, you express yourself by. The expression of a watch is to keep time in perfect sequence according to, uh, you know, the, the mechanism of a watch. The Holy Spirit wants you to uh, click and, and coincide with, walk in harmony with the Bible. He wants you to live in harmony with this. He wants you to live in harmony with the word of the hour. And, and he's, Brother Branham says, we may not even realize, you know, all the things that are going on. But he said, it's a supernatural being inside you. And he's the one that wants to have control. He's the one that wants to correct you. He's the one that wants to bring to your remembrance the things you hear in church. And to help you apply the word of God that you can uh, live in a way that pleases the, the teacher. So we make him the center of our lives. We find a place. We find our place in Christ and being confident in it. We're willing to give abundant grace to others because God has given us such grace. We're willing to restore a fallen brother. We're slow to anger and judgment. You may have a right. You might be like Joseph and have a right to get even, but we're willing to surrender that because that's exactly what Jesus would do. Let me wrap it up. People who have the tutor as the Holy Spirit, they strive to get around the right influence but are satisfied standing alone like Daniel. They have another spirit rather than the doubters. They follow him fully like Joshua and Caleb, right? They step out and they'll change a negative report. When someone says, well, you know, Brother Bram didn't mean that, but hey, he did. They're willing to counter a negative report. Their confession is we're more than able. They are not intimidated by things that are bigger than them. And they see themselves as sons of God or daughters of God, not grasshoppers, and they have a perfect self-image from the book of redemption. I might not be perfect in the flesh, but you know what? When God looks at me, he looks at me through the blood. And I've been redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory, Christ is mine. And he has made me perfected in the beloved, right? He has made me uh, acceptable in the eyes of God. 
And so therefore, I may not be the most popular, I may not be the most wealthy, and I might not have the most possessions, and I might not be able to sing real well, but you know what? In the eyes of God, He sees me a certain way, and I'm content with that. My image is how He sees me. So therefore, we are not led by emotion or fear. We take responsibility. We don't shift the blame. We own what it is that we need to own, and we make a spiritual life our priority. Like Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, one thing is needful, and Mary had chosen the the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So we make the spiritual life a priority. And if this is all true, if any of this is all true, then we have the right and the opportunity to call upon God, just like Jonah did. And Brother Branham said, if Jonah, under these circumstances, in the belly of a great fish, he could believe God and refuse to look at anything that was contrary to God's program. If that's what he did, under those conditions, he said, you're not in that bad a shape. How much more ought we to say, I won't look at nothing else but God's eternal purpose and his promise? Life experience teaches us the best thing you can rely upon is God. We thank God for doctors. We thank God for medicines. We thank God for, uh, you know, uh, money in the bank. Or we thank God for uh, talent and gifts that God gives to us. But you know what? At the end of the day, he's my strength. And I'm going to look at God's eternal promise. At the end of the day, I'm going to trust in him. And I'll tell you, the God of heaven that kept Jonah alive three days and nights can carry you through the deepest of trials. That's real easy to say. It's a different thing for you to have to experience that and rely on that in a real crisis. What if, what if they shut down everything? What if they, uh, you know, I mean, the government is making changes all over the place. And I'm, I'm not a conspiracy kind of a person here at all. I'm not. But they seem to be encroaching into things that they didn't bother with before. Like how much money you paid on PayPal, and now all of a sudden that's an issue, you know? And then other things that, that all of a sudden now we're, it's, it's being monitored. And in a sense, uh, it, it becomes almost reasonable because we're in a time of crisis and a time of great change and a time of pandemic and a time of, uh, you know, all the other things. That, everything seems to be changing all of a sudden, right? So a lot of things are, are being implemented or changed or whatever else. Let's just say they made turns that all of a sudden became... Uh, negative for believers. We've not had to deal with that. None of you here have lived through a world war, I don't think. None of you, uh, we, we've not known what it is like to be without a job and a, and a hope of a job. None of us have been through a Great Depression. None of us have been through really hard times. We've lived in pretty good times. But, And I'm not trying to ruin your day. I'm just saying that you know what? He's, he's the God who is able to help Jonah in those circumstances. And the deepest trials that we go through, he's the same God that will help us in our trials. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know that. And the way you best know that is not for me to tell you. The best way for you to know that is to experience that in the trials you go through. And you realize that I would not be here except for the grace of God. And I would not be here except for his mercy. And everything I thought was stable became unstable. But God, you've led me to a better place. You brought me to a better position. You know what that is? That's the love of God. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he wants to do that. He wants to have that influence over you, even more than you want it yourself. Because we strive to not change, right? We strive to keep things sensible and in order and the routine going just exactly as it always did. And then when we're thrown out of that, 
Some people fall apart. All I'm saying to you is that exactly what Brother Branham's saying there, that the circumstances don't, don't replace God's provision for us. The circumstances don't alter God's promises. They are exactly the same in the good times and in the bad times. And no matter where we find ourselves, like Jonah said, hey, uh, you know what? I always have him to turn to. And in the belly of that great fish, he turned and maneuvered himself towards Jerusalem and said, this is what the promise said. If I look towards this holy temple, then I'll hear my people. The Holy Spirit, to me, the teacher, teaches us to turn to him no matter what your circumstance is. And we learn that best by experience. Let's stand to our feet. We have our musicians just slip back up here for the evening here. There's a lot of things that we didn't know when we came into the faith. There's a lot of things that there's a lot of things that we learn from the preaching of the gospel. There's a lot of things we learn from our fellowship and communion with other believers and other other people. There's a lot of things we learn by uh, you know, watching how somebody who is strong in the faith would operate, how they would pray, how they would forgive, how they would uh, conduct themselves in, in difficult situations. We, we, as, as young Christians, very often we learn those things. And God puts you in a place so that you can see how the Holy Spirit operates in other people's lives because he wants to encourage you and he wants to train you. I, I think it's a very gracious thing. I think God only does that because he loves you and he cares for you. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to be in a, uh, you know, a, a congregation of people that uh, know how to forgive and a congregation of people that love to be in God's presence and to be associated with a group of people that uh, believe the message no matter what. I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful for you and your love for God and your consistency and your faithfulness and all of that. I, I'm not saying that lightly. I would rather be here than anywhere else in the world. I don't need to go anywhere else to preach to feel good about preaching. I love it here. And I love it because we, we have a group of people that love God. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. I don't think I produce that. I think the Holy Spirit produces that in you. But he uses the foolishness of preaching in order to touch you and teach you. And that's his grace. That's his gift to us. I'm grateful for that. Let's sing that little chorus again that's on the board that draw me close to you. I, I, I just love the way that that sounded in the first and I thought it was fitting. Let's make this our prayer. Lord, draw me close to you and never let me go. What I need to learn, Lord, teach me. I'm open to it. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. Will do. 
nothing else could take your place to feel the warmth of your find a way to bring me back to you that image of that mainspring in the watch 
And as long as everything is wound correctly, it's going to drive everything else in that watch to express the correct time. And Lord, I I don't doubt that there's people here tonight and people listening, Lord. Maybe we just need the Holy Spirit to come down and wind things again just to make sure, Lord, that we're operating exactly in harmony with the Word of God. It's not just good enough to have a mainspring. Lord, we want it to be wound so that it affects everything else. We want to express Christ. We want to be able to love and forgive and we want to be able to express the character of Christ in every situation. Lord, I realize these things are simple, but sometimes, Lord, it's, it's, it's good for us to have a rewinding and a refreshing that we, we may realize, Lord, that we're so dependent on that mainspring. Have your way now among us, I pray. Lord, bring healing to all those who need it. And we think of Sister Mary and Sister Connie, Lord. And Father, may your grace and mercy just reach out to them. And all those that are shut in and, Lord, listening tonight, bless them abundantly, I pray. Father, may your Holy Spirit have great preeminence among us. Not that we try to be better than anyone else, but Lord, we simply want to have you present among us because your presence brings real transformation. Thank you, Lord, for the people and their openness and their love for you. Lord, may it increase and grow. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. And amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Sing it as you go tonight. We sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to, to be praised. We sing praises to your name. Praises to your name. Oh.